Well, it's been a few weeks since we've been able to, to be together, at least in a, in a physical sense. And many of you know, if you're, if you're in the San Antonio area, we received the stay-at-home order. And so many of you are, are working home. Here at Oak Hills, uh, we, uh, our staff have gone home to, to work from home. In fact, I, I report to you that we're uh, running a, a pretty uh, a skeleton crew around here. There's only just a few of us here right now. And you know things have gotten slim when they allow me to help lead worship. But I, I think I can say on behalf of all of us here, it is an honor. It is a, an absolute honor to get to serve you in this way, at this time. And speaking of serving, it, after the message, we're gonna spend some time in prayer. And we wanna pray specifically for those of you who are serving on the front lines. You are putting yourself on the line to be able to serve us. I'm thinking about doctors, nurses, first responders, healthcare professionals. I'm thinking about all those who are out there performing those, as we've come to call them, essential services. We're so grateful for you. We are praying for you. We are thankful for you. And we'll pray more about that in just a little bit. Well, there are a lot of things. Some of you, maybe you are staying home. Maybe it's your, you're figuring out how to do work from home and, and the kids are there. This past week, even as I was preparing this message, you know, I'm sitting there and, and I'm, I'm praying and I'm asking God, God, what do you want to say to the people? What do you want me to hear? And about that time, I hear this rhythmic thud from above, over my head. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Well, after a little investigation, it seems that my 275-pound uh, son, who's all muscle, decided he wanted to stay in shape for football season next year, so he thought it would be a great time for him to do some jump training over my head. Well, let's just say we had to trust and adjust just a, a little bit. But I, I didn't see that coming. I mean, there are a lot, I think I can say that about a lot of things. There are a lot of things that I did not see coming. You probably say the same thing. We didn't see a lot of this coming, but God did. God did. We've been, we've been caught off guard. We've been surprised, but not God. You see, God has been preparing, and isn't this just like him, to, to prepare us to, to be ready for what is to come. I call that God working upstream. He's preparing what we need for just that moment when we need it. You know, I don't think it's any accident that months ago, months ago, we planned to study the book of James. I don't know about you, but in these last several weeks, I have needed the wisdom of, from the book of James. It's a short book, but wow, is it ever long on uh, practical advice. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to wrap up our study in the book of James. We're in chapter 5, so I want to invite you to get your Bible, get your smart device, get your notes out, get ready to go. We're going to begin in chapter 5. Now, I will remind you that James is very familiar with the teachings of Jesus. I will remind you that James was the brother of Jesus. And James is writing to a group of people who, well, we can relate. They have fallen on some very tough times. 
And so James is writing to a group of people who have been persecuted, uh, people who have been oppressed. But he is also writing to a group of people who have power and wealth, and they've forgotten where it came from. They're under the illusion of control. And so James is writing to people like this as well. And he has a very stern warning for these people. Let's begin. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen. Now this is the way it begins. Now listen. You know we should listen up. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters, they have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. James has a very stern warning for people as he writes to them. Now, I want you to notice that he, he is warning them not because they had riches, not because they had wealth, but it was what they did with their wealth. They hoarded it. And you see, because they hoarded it, they were hurting other people. You ever notice that some of the strongest warnings in Scripture are to people who are hurting others? Either by what they have done or sometimes what they have failed to do. It makes sense since hurting others stands in direct opposition to the greatest command that Jesus gave us. And that was to love one another. And so we may not think of ourselves as wealthy. We may not think of ourselves. We, we may not make a payroll. But here's the principle that I think we can all relate to, and it is this. At the end of the day, it all fades away. At the end of the day, it all fades away. At the end of the day, meaning uh, when it's all said and done, at the end of time, at the end of our lives, it, it, the things that we hold and think are so important, they all fade away. And, and haven't we during these times found those things to be revealed that we thought were so important, but we, we find out they're, they're really not that important at all? You see, James is wanting to remind us that, that it all fades away. This has been a theme throughout the book of James. Let's go back to chapter one real quick. Do you remember what he said? Our lives like a wildflower, a beautiful wildflower, but a wildflower that experiences the scorching heat from the sun. And what happens? The wildflower's beauty fades. And then just to make sure that we don't miss it again in, in, in chapter four, he says that our lives are like a mist, like a vapor. There for a minute, and then it vanishes. He, he wants us to gain an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. When we begin to look at things through an, 
eternal perspective. It, it puts the right priorities in place. I'm wondering, at the, at the end of all of this, at the end of this crisis, and make no mistake, this, this crisis will also fade away. But when it does, friends, what will we remember? Will we remember that we were a people who hoarded or who helped? At the end of all this, will we remember that we were uh, people uh, who were about giving or about getting? Or were we a people who were about selflessness? Or were we a people about self-preservation and self-indulgence? What will it be that we will remember? We need an eternal perspective. Do you ever wonder why Jesus put so much emphasis on loving others? Why put so much emphasis on loving people? And then to follow suit, the Apostle Paul does the same. John does the same in his writings. There's so much emphasis on loving people because, my friend, people are eternal. You see, it's not just about being a good person. It's not just about being a nice person. People are eternal. So Jesus says you should love one another. You should love people. Because everything else, I mean, come on. At the, at the, at the end of the day, eventually, at some point, it all fades away. So I want to pause for just a moment and I want to point you to some questions. You're going to find these in your study guide, but I want to, I want to give you these just so that you can uh, look at these with your family or look at these with your, uh, your small group. But here's, here's some of the, the, the questions, okay? So how are you using your money? Okay, you, you might want to grab a, a screenshot of this real quick. You can talk about this after, after our message. But how are you using your, your money? Do you see any evidence of hoarding or self-indulgence in your life? And then finally, how could you be contributing to the injustice of this world? These are important questions for us to consider. But at the end of the day, we know that it, it all fades away. Again, these questions will be in your study guide, and they will, you'll find them on our, our website in the Oak Hills app. So at the end of the day, it all fades away. But until then, until then, we wait. Uh, these are not my words. These are James. I want us to pick up in James in, in verse 7. Let's continue reading right there. In verse 7, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, you too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. I want you to notice what James does right here. He is, he's bringing hope to us in our present by pointing to the future. He says, the judge is coming. The judge is, is standing at the door. Justice is coming. But he not only points to the future, he, he also points to the past. Look at this. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's 
perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, do not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. James points to the past. I wonder if some of his listeners, or the readers of this letter, I wonder if they paused, I wonder if they looked around at each other and said, you know what, that's right. That's right. Remember that God has been faithful all along. Remember the prophets. Remember Job. Remember God's faithfulness all along. He will be faithful now. And we can count on him to be faithful in the future. See, James is pointing to the future and then he's pointing to the past to give us hope in the present. I can just imagine that they were reading this together. I I can just imagine. He he says, okay, at the end of the day, it all fades away, but until then, we wait. Now, how do we wait? We wait as people who know the end of the story. I I want to invite you to do this. Here's something really, really practical for you. If you find yourself in becoming anxious, if you find yourself becoming afraid, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take out your Bible or your, your smart device. Any, anytime the anxiety starts to, to creep up and you, and you hear something and it starts to take hold of your heart, just do this. Take your Bible or your smart device and I want you to, to, to turn it to Romans 8, 28. Uh, Romans 8, 28. Now, I want you to do that. Just uh, uh, that, that Romans 8, 28, that's the one that says that God works for good. For good for those that love him. Now, You open that up. First of all, just make sure it's still there. And if it is still there, if you open your Bible and Romans 8, 28 is still there, then you know that God is still in control. And you know that he is still sovereign. Now, if you open your Bible and Romans 8, 28 is not there, well, then we've probably got bigger problems than a virus. But I'm pretty confident that it will be there. And if it is still there, God is still in control. And if it is there, if it is still there, then you know that God is still writing this story. And you will remember that he has told you how this story ends. We tried to, around the Eads house, tried to limit our uh, TV time, electronics, and that sort of thing. But we've taken some time to watch some movies together. We, we started out, we watched through the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then, of course, we had to go back to the pre. I'd never seen the, the prequel. It's, it's called The Hobbit. And so we went back and we watched The Hobbit. Now, there are some pretty intense scenes in The Hobbit. I mean, you're watching it, and, and I begin to think, there's no way they're making it out of this one. There's no way that that character is going to... And then I have to stop and think. Wait a second. But I know how the story ends. But, but I, I've, I've seen the other movies. But I know that that guy's face is on the cover of the next movie. It changes the way that you watch. It lessens, lessens a little of the, uh, the tension, which is not great for a movie. But man, is it great for real life. Could you use a, a little less tension 
in your life. Then remind yourself, you know how this story ends. So as we wait, we wait like people who know how the story ends. But we also, we don't wait passively. We wait expectantly. When I say we wait, and when James is telling us to wait patiently, he's not, he's not saying wait to live. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about waiting. And as you wait, we have an opportunity to love one another. We have an opportunity to love one another. I, I want to I report to you that this past week and uh, even this weekend that there have been hundreds of phone calls made. Hundreds of phone calls. We, what we wanted to do is we wanted to start with those who were most vulnerable among us. And so we started making calls to those of you who are 65 and older. Uh, if we haven't gotten to you yet, uh, maybe we just haven't gotten to you yet. Or maybe we don't have your up-to-date information. So that would be a good opportunity to make sure that we get that. Because we want to check on you. We don't just want to wait and just wait till this thing is over. No, we want to wait. And while we do, we want to love one another. This is a, an opportunity for the church to be the church. And so we're, we're making calls like that. I know that many of you are making calls on your own, just, just checking on people. And sometimes there are, there are needs arise, and we want to be able to meet those needs in that moment. So as we wait, it's an opportunity to wait as we love one another. Here at Oak Hills, we've, talked, we've said that we are a family. And that metaphor is now, it now means more than it ever has. And so here's, an, here's another question that I'd like for you to consider with your small groups or with your families. What should be our response to injustice? And how can we learn from the prophets who were patient as they spoke out for God? Go ahead, take a moment, just get a, a screenshot of that as well. I'll even pose with it. There you go. I want you to have this. Now, at the end of the day, it all fades away. Until then, we wait. And until then, we pray. Again, not my words. These are, these are James' words. I want to pick up in, in verse 13. James could have chosen all, all kinds of things to write about at this point. You know, I wonder if as he was writing, coming to the, to the very end of this, I wonder if he was asking God, God, what do you want me to say to these people? What, what is your word for these people? And out of all the different things that he could have written about, these are the words, these are the words that James, that the Holy Spirit led James to write. Is anyone among you in trouble? Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Then let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, don't miss this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Out of all the words that he could have chosen, out of all the things that he could have done, he could have said, he wanted us to pray. He said, is any one of you in trouble? I'm raising my hand. I've sensed it. I've felt the trouble. And I know you have too. James tells us we should pray. Why? Well, there's a couple things that come to my mind. But he told us it's powerful and effective. He references Elijah. You can read about Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Elijah prayed, and God heard Elijah. God listened, and he brought down fire from the sky for Elijah. Now, if you're anything like me, sometimes you you begin to think, well, yeah, but. Yeah, but that was then. This is now. Yeah, but Elijah was a prophet. Well, maybe, maybe James was anticipating our doubts and our questions because he wanted us to know that Elijah was a human being just as we are. Elijah was a human being just as we are. Do we dare believe that our prayer could be as powerful as Elijah's? Do we dare that our prayer can be powerful and effective? James reminds us, the power, it's not in the one who prays. The power is in the one who listens. And maybe you've wondered, well, doesn't God already know what we need? I mean, does he really need to hear from me? I mean, if God already knows what I need, then why pray? George MacDonald has been helpful to me on this. I want to I share with you a quote on this. He says, oh, What if the main object in God's idea of prayer be the supplying of our great need, our endless need, the need of himself? Hunger may drive, hunger or virus may drive the runaway child home and he may or may not be fed at once. But he needs his mother more than his dinner. Communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other need. Prayer is the beginning of that communion. And some need is the motive of that prayer. Some need is the motive of that prayer. Can I just be honest with you? What I'm praying for is that our needs will bring us to our knees. Friend, that's where we need to be right now. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be on our knees and we need to be in prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. We need, and I, I mean praying fervently. That's, that's what the world needs. That's what our land needs. That's what we need right now, to be people of prayer. So, Here are some questions, yet again, that I'd like for you to consider. Maybe you want to get a screenshot of this real quick, but look at this. Why is it important that we pray? I'd I'd love for you to talk about that. When have you seen God answer prayer? Where have you seen him be faithful? And, And how can we encourage and pray for each other to persevere 
in our faith. In a moment, we are going to practice what we're preaching. We are going to pray together. We're going to pray for each other. And as we do, we're going to ask God, God, what is it that you want to say to us? What are you saying to us right now? And what do you want me to do based on what I'm hearing? What do you want me to hear? What do you want me to believe? What do you want me to obey? Even James would say, we don't want to just be a, a listener to the word, but we want to be a doer of the word. And can I speak to you, those of you who may feel overlooked? And James is writing to a lot of people that felt overlooked. Those, those workers that were being withheld that pay. And by the way, this was a life or death situation for them. They were living hand to, to mouth. If they did not get paid, they could not feed their families. They had to have felt overlooked. But James makes it a point to put there in the, in the first of chapter 5, he wants us to know that the Lord heard their cries. If you feel overlooked, I want you to know that the Lord hears your cries. If you feel overlooked, I want to encourage you to look to the cross. It is at the cross where you see Jesus hanging there with, with his arms open wide, showing you just how far he was willing to go to make sure that you knew without a doubt that he loves you and just how far he was willing to go for you in sacrificing his very life. If you feel overlooked, then look to the cross. You will see that God sees you. You will see that he cares for you. You will see that God loves you. He is working for the good of those that love him. You do not have to get God's attention. You have it. He loves you. There's nothing that you could do to make him love you more, to love you less. He loves you just the way that you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. He, you have his attention. Does he have yours? Let's have an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective that tells us that at the end of the day, it all fades away. Until then, we wait, and until then, we pray. I want to pray for us. Father, we come to you thanking you for the cross. We thank you not just for a symbol, but we thank you for your son who sacrificed all. He has every right to call us as Jesus believers, as Jesus followers, he has every right to call us to, to sacrifice and to love one another because he did it first. So Father, would you increase our love during this time? Would you use our, our needs to bring us to our knees? We want to see Jesus and only Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.